Everyone, we're back on the air. We're back, baby. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. back after surviving multiple attacks of real life obligations creative writing assignments and the start of con season we're finally back from our unplanned hiatus to get the spell burning train back on the tracks i'm judge jim and with me tonight are my two best judges forever judge job hey everybody and judge jeffrey hey everyone so whew. <laughs> apologies to Spellburn listeners it's been a while it's been a long time yeah uh-huh. I'm not sure I remember how to do this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll fumble through, I'm sure, and, and come up with, with something. Let's see. Oh, yeah. So the first thing is, let's go into the tavern. And the first rule of bartending is this: GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken. F- that. Tavern Talk. So what did we do in gaming this past <laughs> weeks? <laughs> yeah, plural there a little bit. <laughs> Excising the Gary Khan stuff, because that's what this whole episode is going to be about. I've been up to my normal online game. Uh, we've been playing fairly regularly. We took about two weeks off over the Gary Khan break just because of prep for Gary Khan and then getting back in Gary Khan. Uh, We've it's been going well. Uh, I'm actually confused where people are at on updates. Um, they essentially they are essentially they had left the planet, gone to another planet. They found their way back from that planet, and they're back in the great city, which is the city that our game takes place in. They are really not happy with uh, the sorceress uh, Leotaw, so they have decided to wage an attack on her tower, which was formerly Miracle's tower. And holy that, crap! Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's been pretty crazy, um, and they're amidst uh, that attack on the tower is pretty much where we're up to at this point in time, and that's going well. She has proven to be much more complicated to defeat than they originally thought, though. And for anybody who's interested in a more play-by-play, there's of course your live play podcast. 
Yep, and that's at irontavern.com forward slash podcast, and we pretty much post uh, episodes up there on a semi-regular basis, so people can listen to us blow by blow as we go through it. Yeah, you've already passed us. I think this is episode 20 for Spellburn. Yeah, I'm yeah this should be 20. To, yep, this is 20. I'm getting set to go up episode 15 or 16 right now, so. Coming up from behind. Man. Yep, sneaking up on us. <laughs> the game must go on. I approve. How about you, Job? Wow. Uh, I know I know one thing you've done in gaming recently. Really? What's that? Uh going out to that con and running DCC. What what con is that? Didn't just this past weekend didn't you go to a con and run a bunch of games? Oh my god. I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just reading your Facebook feed, that's all. I know. Uh, oh my gosh. Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. It wasn't really a con, it was a international tabletop day. Right, right. Um so, uh, and that was at Guardian Games in uh, Portland, uh, Oregon. And uh, man, that store is, uh, that's probably my new favorite game store now. The Portland gaming scene is completely insane. Um, there was o- over 100 people at the store on the Saturday. Um, and I was talking to the some of the people that go there a lot, and they said that, you know, Saturday usually is about as packed as it was, even even though it was like a special day. So, That's quite the turnout for a for a a Saturday at a store, I would think. So, what were, yeah. you, what were you running, man? Oh, I was running this new thing I'm working on. Um, people at Gary Con would have played too. Is a 998th Concord of Wizards. Oh, sweet! Yeah, I was jealous. I didn't get to play that. Well, I was jealous I didn't get to play uh, Gamma Crawl Classics again. But <laughs> one of these days. But uh, I, I met some listeners, actually. Uh, it was uh, Will and his son and um, this other guy, Shane, um, who was, uh, does that blog, uh, Giant Evil Wizard. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. So he showed up, and, and that was really cool. And we had, we had a pretty good game. And then for my home game, you know, my recurring game, um, we're going through uh, the one who watches from below. And... I th- threw a lot of random like wandering monsters at him and stuff, and somehow in a single like six-hour session, they got to like right before the end of the module too, just by like blind luck. I hope I hope they're not like reading the module behind my back or something, but I've never had anybody do that before. So, well, my regular uh, Mutant Crawl Classics campaign, uh, just prior to the con, uh, my group play tested an adventure that I had uh, especially written because. Uh, Joseph had asked me maybe to run a game for him at Gary Con, and because you know events transpired, that didn't that didn't happen. Joseph had to leave the con early, but uh, my players were like, I mean, it was they're they're in the beginning stages of what you describe your players were going through a few months ago, Jeffrey. They're 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 getting up where they're now they're second level, and one of them's fifth, and they're starting to get really you know feeling their power and a little froggy and uh, I wrote this really brutal adventure uh, um, and uh, they uh, you know stacked with TPK, potential TPKs and they really played their asses off I mean there was a point where they're like fame rubbing Joseph's signature into their DCC book they needed to get a roll so bad and burning luck like crazy and they completely came through it uh, with you know, like one one character death and they managed to bring that guy back anyway so they were all like 
be sure and tell us if, you know, the Goodman crew does as good at this as we did, and then the game didn't happen. So I'm kind of bummed about that, but I'll, I'll have that in my uh, back pocket for uh, North Texas Con. Anybody wants to be down there, I'm not in the schedule, but I'm going to run some one-off DCC, MCC stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, you get to that level, that second, third, fourth level, they you, they start feeling like they're a little powerful, so, you know, you sometimes got to step it up. But smart play, it, it's gotten my group through most of the stuff they've been doing, so... I'm really happy with my little home campaign group of guys, the mutant murder hobos, because uh, some of them like Rick Hall uh, is one of the players and, you know, a couple of guys my age who uh, it's, you know, it's a switch you have to pop in your head to go back and play old school style like DCC is. But all you have to do is throw the breaker panel and it takes you adapt to it really quickly. But the the uh, I mean, it's not like they're younger. They're adults. They're all like, you know, late 20s, early 30s. They play a lot of Pathfinder, and they've played some DCC, and but now they're like totally into the play style. They they know what to do now. They know how to be smart, cautious, and and when you know when to run away and when to go balls to the wall. That's awesome. I think once a group learns when to run away, that's when things get really cool. Because as a judge or GM, you can sort of throw tougher things, and sometimes they learn. Oh, this is one we need to you know get out of here on, and instead of just always ending up trying to go up against it and not being able to beat it. Well, let's see if this makes any sense to you guys, Job and Jeffrey, that we, we have started the tactical strategy arms race between judge and players, where I do my best to confound them and expect them to have difficulty and the bastards sit and figure out a way around my shit anyway. And so the next game, I have to raise it, the stakes up a little, make it a little trickier where we're, we're back and forth. I love that. That's my favorite part of all role playing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. My my online group, they tend to conspire. They used to conspire publicly in front of me, and then I think they thought I was using that too much to my advantage to see what they were thinking about. So they, I forget what section we're going through, but they were planning this massive attack. And I said, you know what, you guys, go off, do it in your private thread. I don't want to know. I just want to know, is this the week you're planning on making the attack? That's it. So then I could sort of design and plan, how would she defend this tower? What would she do without any, you know hint at what they were going to do and then just sort of see how the two went up against each other. It was a lot of fun. A little chess game there within the game. I tell you what, that, that, that's when I award a luck point because I've been doing this for a while and, and I'm not a dumb guy and when that group of players took 30 minutes to cook up a plan the last game we played that completely contained nothing I had expected them to do and I was completely unprepared for I had to hand out some luck points for that after the, after the battle. <laughs> that's cool. How about we summon some emails? You've got mail. Message for you, son. Summon email. Dum, 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 dum. Okay, it's time to catch back up on the email bag. What do we got, guys? Uh, looks like our first email's from Sean. Uh, what do you guys like to use to create the feel of a big city without having to map out every square of the town? I've just discovered Lankmar City of Adventure and would highly recommend using that. You have several sections of the city mapped out with blank spots that you can fill in with encounters as you need them. If things spill over from your encounter and into the city, like being chased by the town guard, you then have a map of twisting and turning streets already supplied for you. I found this great resource at Noble Knight's site for five bucks. I love the show. Keep up the good work and have a great 2014. Signed, DCC fan. Oh, thanks, Sean. Yeah, thanks yeah, thank for writing you. in. So, what do you think, guys? 
I well, I think Sean's suggestion is excellent. That's exactly what I would do: is go scan some existing product just for a map and key it to my own little encounters. Michael Michael Curtis has got this. Every con he runs his one uh, game that's not a module. It's just an ongoing scenario called Night on the Town. Have either of you played in that? I have, I have not, not yet. No. If I had the time and patience, I would do what Michael did because he's just got like grid after grid after grid of this town, and he just rekeys the town every convention, and you don't know what the adventure is going to be. It's kind of like how Doug runs a game. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I would probably throw out there too. Maybe uh, if you if you guys have heard of Bornheim. Yes, I have. That's a good one. Yeah, it's got a lot of kind of generic uh, city stuff and everything that you need to kind of stock a town um, with kind of random random tables and stuff, too. It's pretty cool. We were looking at the old uh, basic D&D gazetteers over on Save or Die, and all of those come with really cool maps, and you can get the PDFs for like five bucks a pop. Now, have either one of you read uh, or, or, per, or flipped through Lankmar City of Adventure? I have not. The version I saw was 30 years ago, so I don't think it was the same thing. <laughs> All right, I, I think I've actually seen it before. Uh, it, he made it sound interesting. I think I want to try to pick up a copy. At five bucks, you can't beat that. Yeah. So the next email is from Will, and he writes, Dear Spellburn team, thanks for all your hard work promoting DCC. I really enjoy listening to your podcast and look forward to every episode. Just wanted to draw your attention to Daniel J. Bishop's recent adventure, The Perils of, Cinder, of the Cinder Claws. This is a really imaginative, zany adventure, two adventures really, that has a lot of old-school DCC mojo. After running it recently, I would say it's become my favorite DCC adventure to date, and with a very interesting and rather creepy patron write-up is included. I'll never look at fruitcake or tinsel the same way again. I hope Daniel's able to be on the podcast again in 2014. Thanks again, you guys. Will. I don't know anything about that adventure, but as soon as he said fruitcake and tinsel, I was sold. Now I have to go get it. I want to see the patron write-up. Yeah, I, I think our mailbag is a bit delayed. Maybe the, maybe he wrote this somewhere around Christmas. Yeah, it's certainly a, a bit of a christmas adventure. I've read it. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's definitely interesting. You can sort of drop it into a campaign pretty easily. Uh, and yeah, fruitcake and tinsel, it's hard to go wrong with that, right? Well, I mean, come on. We're, we're three competent judges. We reskin that tomorrow into, you know, Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I could, I could kill my kids with that. <laughs> Death by Easter bunny. Okay, well, let's put that up on the whiteboard. Have Daniel back as soon as possible. Sounds good to me. Yeah, definitely cool. All right. Our next email is from Judge Foot Landraker. And he says, uh, Jim, Job, and Jeffrey, I am about to run my first DCC RPG session, and it's all because of you. I mostly play Pathfinder, but I got hooked listening to Save or Die out of nostalgia for my early days of gaming and eventually added all the WGPRN shows to my podcast feed. Good. Excellent. Um, after listening to your show since episode one, I have finally rounded a gang of unsuspecting adventurers and they'll be diving headfirst into Sailors of the Starless Sea. Anywho, my question is this. What is your favorite first level DCC RPG module and why? I'm looking for something to run after Sailors and would love some advice. Keep up the good work and keep the episodes coming. Best Judge Foot Landraker. Oh, there's a lot of first level modules out there. There are, and he might need a second level one by now. <laughs> <laughs> Got to the email. <laughs> we're going to get caught up, I swear. We're, we're back in the saddle. Well, I'm going to have to throw mine out there. Yeah, I, I'm a shameless self-promoter, so you know, definitely you should check out the one who watches from below. 
Oh, dude, you stole that. Stole mine. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that's just, I'm sorry. I have to go switch to fanboy mode for a minute. That's like one of the best first level adventures to get, especially a bunch of new players coming in from uh, more 4E type systems ingrained into the, and get them to love the, uh, what do you call it? Eldridge, uh, Gonzo wizardry of DCC. Cool. Glad you liked it. For, for me, uh, I'm trying to think. I didn't run many of the Goodman games at first level. I was in Purple Sorcerer land, so I'd probably have to go with either using Ooze Pits of Jonas Grok, which is what I used around first level for you guys. That's a good choice. Uh, which is pretty cool. I actually liked its feel almost uh, better than uh, uh, Perils uh, of the uh, the first one, uh, Sunken City Adventure proper. But uh, yeah, Ooze Pits of Jonas Grok was a lot of fun. Uh, it was sort of more outdoorsish, which was sort of a neat little twist on things. Uh, and it had a, a cool little story, a cool little, a fun little town to to work in uh, during the adventure. So uh, I'll probably go with that one for my my vote. Well, just no so- offense, Job. <laughs> well, no, no. I'm taking the the first thing I thought of was the one who watches below. But uh, since you took that, I'm going to uh, supply an answer of uh, Michael Curtis's Frozen in Time, which was uh, written to be run either as level zero funnel or first level adventure. And when we play tested that before it was published, we ran it as a first level adventure, and it was awesome. And obviously in my wheelhouse because of the homage to Metamorphosis Alpha that's sort of inherent in that adventure module. Yeah, I definitely want to run that one. Frozen the time, it looks really good to me, too. I really want to run that one as soon as I'm done with uh, getting my home uh, group through the current adventure. Sweet. Yeah, I ran Frozen on time. I just did it with a... I think I modded it up to about a third or fourth level when I did it. Uh, but yeah, I ran that, too. It was definitely fun and definitely breaks you right into that DCC spirit right out of the gate with it, so... Torp! Torp. <laughs> <laughs> So third or f- ramping up to third or fourth level, you beefed that robot up, didn't you? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> that robot almost killed our first level characters, and he and then I and then the module came out, and I read his stats, and I'm like, oh holy crap, <laughs> we were weak. Okay, we got one more email. Yep, we got one more. This one is from Doug Justice, and he writes, Hello, I've really enjoyed your podcast. Over the last month or so, I've listened to all the episodes and has directly led me to starting a DCC campaign that will begin at the end of January. Uh, So I hope that campaign's going well for you. (laughs) Uh, But he continues, I'm finding DCC to be the game I've been looking for. I began with the 1981 basic set and have been gaming ever since. DCC gives me that same feeling I had then. Thank you for being part of rekindling that joy. I have a few questions, though, for the Spellburners. Uh, well, sort of, I probably easiest to handle these one, one at a time. time. Yeah. So his first question is, if a spellcaster spell burns away stamina or another class loses stamina somehow, do you adjust their hit point total as well? Oh, what a good question. I do adjust their hit point total or over either one, whether it's a stamina loss because of some poison or some other effect, or if it's spell burn, then yeah, I have them adjust. If if the stamina affects their modifier, then it brings the hit points down. Man, you're cruel. I'm very cruel. <laughs> See, that's probably the right answer, which is also the hard-assed answer, but uh, I don't... The stamina loss in the game tends to be temporary, so I don't usually worry about it that much personally, but you're, I think you're right. Yeah, I do the same thing. I, I, I don't I don't subtract their hit points right then and there. I figure, you know, they gain those hit points when they, you know, leveled, and just to suddenly take them away, I think, just is too harsh. Am I, am I the only one that sometimes targets ability scores to kill people? 
Well, no, no, dude. It's just judging style. My judging style is a little loosey goosey because I have plenty of crap in there. I can kill the players with anytime I want. If I if I would ever decide to do that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that answers the stamina question. The next one is: Do clerics have set spells they know, or do you allow them to pray for spells each day? Ah, this guy's asking the good questions. He is. He's in a lot of the good ones. Well, before uh, Job and I say how we do it, what's the right way to do it, Jeffrey? Oh, heck, I don't know <laughs> the right way, but uh, I know the way I do it is they have set spells that they know, and I don't allow them. Uh, they can go quest to switch them if they want, but it's not a daily thing like it was in you know Pathfinder or other versions of D&D where you could uh, wake up in the morning, decide what you're going to pray for, and get. Uh, so currently I play it that way. I think there's room for lots of interpretation and go with what you think is fun for the game, but it's a set list for me. Now, the way I, the way I do it is, I, you know, I make them randomly roll um, when they get them, and then um, every once in a while, if it, you know, if they if they say they want, yeah, you know, I really want to change out a spell, I'll say, okay, well, you know, you can pray and and try to change out this spell or something, and kind of handle it that way, just to discourage them from just like willy nilly swapping all their spells every single day. I don't have any clerics in my current campaign, although I have rules for that to happen. Should it should one cleric find himself time traveling to the post-apocalyptic future but uh i have the hardest habit of breaking the old school habit of just okay clerics get the whole spell list at will because it's divine just because it just because because that's the way we played back from you know home's basic rules so that's not right for dcc but well I, you know I, I i think there's you could definitely have an argument for it i mean you know clerics don't get spell burn and and some other you know um important things that that other uh you know wizards and elves get so they're on a much shorter leash leash with their patrons and deities than the wizards are right yeah i mean the disapproval uh, there's a lot of downsides to uh you know having a deity so i don't know it's a toss-up i played a cleric in a michael curtis game at gary con would you like to hear the impression i've learned to do of michael curtis (laughs) i would love to yes we would (laughs) this it goes back Mike ran a Call of Cthulhu game, and he's role-playing as the GM, this little old lady we're trying to get information out of. And the guy, the spookiest thing in the entire Call of Cthulhu game was Mike Curtis role-playing a little old lady because he got his glasses down on his nose, and he's got this How the Grinch Stole Christmas smile on his face. And I was telling Tim Cask about it on the way back, and I was trying to imitate Mike imitating this little old lady and stumbled upon a Mike Curtis impression. Well, you have uh, incurred uh, 10 disapproval. And uh, you're webbed for five hours, and uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to ask you now to roll another saving throw. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's Ta-da. not too bad at all. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what he did to my cleric. <laughs> oh, man. It's pretty good. So we got two more questions out of this email. The next one is, are 1s and 20s always failures and successes, even on skill checks and saving throws? <laughs> all together now. Yes. Yeah, that's... Yes. I've actually been mean, and I don't always... It's usually my mood on whether I let a 20 be an automatic success. I'm going to move towards letting it be an automatic success, but I haven't always done that. Oh, dude, you're harsh. I'm very harsh, but ones have always been failures. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who are thinking I was cruel about the stamina, try that ones and 20s out. <laughs> well, you know, you've shared enough about how your players act that uh, I don't feel too sorry for them. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I would do ones and twenties uh, are always failures and successes on everything. And so we're gonna find out how many of my players actually listen to Spellburn, and when they remind me, hey, remember that time you said, we'll we'll make sure that enact the twenties are always and not just dependent on my mood. And the final question is, does a dragon get any bonus to damage on its claw, bite, and other melee attacks from strength or hit dice? Hmm, I'm not sure I understand the question. I think he's asking if, does the strength modifier apply additional damage, or or does the number of hit dice factor into the amount of extra damage for a dragon attack? What do you think, Joe? I think I should have read the book, uh, looked at that question, email. <laughs> I'm not sure. Strength, I would give it to for sure. Uh, well, there's an old idea. There's an old school idea buried in there, like in some older versions of uh, the world's most popular role playing game. The monsters would have stats and therefore stat modifiers. But I don't think DCC has that, does it? On dragons? No, it doesn't. I mean, it's not in the stat block. So, Doug? It's your campaign. If you want the your dragons to have, you know, melee attack bonuses on top of everything else, go for it. Yeah, I'd definitely go with what you're more comfortable with. Uh, you know, what what seems to fit your table. That That's never a wrong answer when you choose that option. I, I just quickly looked at the, the table, um, table one dragon size, and it says um, attack bonus, like hit dice plus one, hit dice plus two, so... Um, I guess you would just roll their hit dice and add whatever bonuses is in the dragon size table. Okay. Yeah, usually when I'm doing a stack, stat block for a creature that's not already in the book, I just decide, okay, these guys should be pretty tough. They get a plus four to attack. Yeah, I, I usually just kind of eyeball it too. Kind of like, you know, look at whatever adventures I might have on my shelf that are in the same level range and just kind of go from there. I mean, you, you, you can never go wrong beefing the dragon up. Right. I mean, you're going to expect that you're going to get stomped by this thing, especially in DCC. The concept of dragons in it. Yep, so oh. Doug wraps it up with keep up the great work, and thanks again. Thanks, and Doug. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate the questions. Alright, well, let's move over to Dungeon Denizens. Go on, boys. Chop his head off. Right, silly little Peter. Jesus Christ! My armor is like a tenfold shield. My teeth are like swords. My claws spears. So we decided to do Dungeon Denizens at the top of the show because we've been getting some really good submissions. And then Daniel J. Bishop took Doug Kovac's uh, drawing he did for us shortly after he was a guest on the show and uh, invited viewers to uh, submit stats for it. So we decided to do that that contest for this episode, right, guys? Yes, we did. So what do we got? The entry that uh, I believe we chose as the winner was a creature called the Grand Monarch or the Great Devourer. And it's actually a pretty cool little creature. Um, big creature, I should say. <laughs> Hardly little creature. It's a hell um, of a write-up. It was a very good write-up. And uh, the so the gist of this creature is that it pretends to be a large hill. Uh, and it allows its horn to sort of stick up, almost looking like a white stone obelisk of some sort. Um, and people around don't know it to be anything other than a hill with a strange white obelisk at the top. 
And on top of it all, it sort of makes the vegetation and surrounding area grow more bountifully. Unfortunately, every several decades or so, I believe it was every few decades or so, it has to wake from its slumber and it goes on this crazy rampage, which is the part that more accurately depicts uh, Doug's drawing of this. And it becomes this 50-foot tall, crazy-looking thing with tail slaps and uh, special abilities such as mesmerize and weather control and swallowing people whole. Uh, It came out to be a pretty cool creature. I thought it was pretty neat. Yeah, when something has a special ability, swallow whole, that's when my party goes the other way. We're down at that point. Yeah, definitely. I, me, a story of one of my Pathfinder games, me and a guy, there was guys, we were sleeping, we were camping out, and uh, we heard noise off in a thing, and two of us decided, ah, oh, we don't need to wake the others, you know, they'll be okay. We went out, we both got swallowed whole by this thing, and it was comedy ever since. <laughs> yeah, I got I got swallowed whole at uh, Jim Ward's uh, game uh, at Gary Con. That was a that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I died quickly and got to sit at the table and watch everybody else die. Oh well, I mean, Mike Curtis likes to brag. He's gotten through three of Jim's games uh, alive three times now. But uh, in six years of playing in his games, I've managed it once. It t- it it it, t- it takes uh, being not just smart and cautious, but sitting on all the other players and keeping them from doing anything really stupid too. And then sometimes it happens anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I really enjoyed this monster, too. Um, I think I'm going to have to throw this at my players at some point. Because, um, uh, yeah, they're they're pretty cutthroat. Um, kind of like Jeffrey's players. i got to whip them into shape. Well, we're going to put the, the full write-up on the website with Doug's art again. So everyone can uh, enjoy it and uh, make their players' lives hell. And we should note this was sent in by Marmax is how the email was signed on this. So, uh, But yeah, I definitely see this hill making an appearance as a set piece somewhere in my, my campaign, I think. Well, correct. congratulations, Marmax. And uh, we were talking around before the podcast, and we decided since this contest was basically Daniel J. Bishop's idea, the prize for winning it would be a free Daniel J. Bishop adventure module for DCC RPG. So just contact Daniel, tell him the Spellburn cast sent you, and you're there for your free module. Good job, man. Yeah, definitely. It was very cool. Right, <laughs> enjoyed it. Congrats. <laughs> and he'll be coming, Daniel. <laughs> Okay, so let's get on to the meat of the show and do some Mighty Deeds. Wait a second. I have an idea. That's plenty for the both of us. I move for no man. (laughs) Ow. Mighty Deeds. So this is going to be our GaryCon recap episode, where we regale listeners with tales of our adventures at GaryCon. Is that what we decided to do? That is what we decided to do. And share the news, although all three of us individually have been blasting uh, some of the news that came out of GaryCon across various social media. There there will be people listening to the podcast who haven't heard any of that. So yep. we, do we want to start with the big Goodman Games seminar, where they basically, where Joseph basically outlined the plan for the whole coming year for DCC and lots of other product lines yeah it was a good yeah. seminar there was tons of new stuff coming out of there uh lots of different stuff so you know a lot of cool announcements coming out of there it was a good seminar i couldn't help but notice job that while i was in the audience videotaping the event and jeffrey was in the audience behind me you were up there on stage with the crew 
Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Joseph asked me that that morning or the night before if, if I wanted to come sit in and talk about some of the products that I'm working on. So, of course, I jumped at the chance. And uh, was that your first time doing something like that? It actually was. Yeah, it's the first uh, kind of seminar panel, whatever that I've ever done. So I, I was thrilled. Hey, you looked a little nervous, but hopefully that. <laughs> Hopefully, Doug Kovacs showed you the way to get through those things, which is just like stand up and kind of be uh, babble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just talk, talk fast. Hope something good happens. Take the credit. Yeah. But yeah, I had a blast. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff coming out. I think the number one thing that I'm most excited about is uh, the the judges screen. Yeah. Let's let's start with the DCC stuff, and then we can work on to some of the other junk. I, I, people have been yelling for a judges screen for uh, a GM screen for like two years now. Yeah, it's been a long time and they've been asking for it. And that art that Doug showcased at the show was just awesome. Uh, I loved how he had it so that from a distance it looked cool. And then if you walk up close to it and look at it, you get a whole new you know, vibe to it. So, yeah, it looks like that's going to be pretty impressive when it gets out. You know, at the risk of sounding like a suck-up, the thing I love about Joseph Goodman is that is the most uh, canny, thoughtful publisher of game products ever because he never does anything that isn't thoughtful because he was talking about the judges screen and got into you know typical adventure module cover you see from about 18 inches away but a judges screen you're going to see that up close you're going to see that at a distance so the art has to work at both levels i just love people who think that way yeah i was actually i saw that the you know the original up close um beforehand before they said the whole spiel or anything and um it was on top of his easel and i didn't look at it you know from far away and I really didn't see the skull when I looked at the art. I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Or not a skull, like a face. Um, and then and then we walked back across the room, and I looked back at it, and I was like, oh, wait, there's, there's, a, there's a face there. Like I, and he was like, oh, you know, he was like, oh, that's cool. You totally got it without even knowing that's what we were trying to do. Well, Doug had like a little mini gallery show, so in the midst of all the work he showed, I – gave a cursory look to the GM screen and and okay that's cool I like that big gate with the face in it yay that's good and then I get home and start looking at the pictures and seeing the details that you pick, only pick up if you're close to it oh yeah it's amazing so there's some future modules coming out including some stuff written by you oh and um, Mr. Curtis uh, let's see the Tales of the Black Mance was released at the con that's out in stores now and uh, the I can't I play tested the damn adventure and I can't keep the name straight. The making of the ghost ring, chain coffin, right? Or is that? Different? Oh, I jumped ahead. The chain coffin. That one's next in the barrel. On my right, Curtis yeah. adventure. Yeah, another great cover on that one too. When when he said that that play t- because it's kind of a uh, Appalachian themed DCC adventure, and he said it, it tested well in Kentucky. That was our play test group because we were oh, specific- nice. we were specifically asked if we were offended by anything and we're like, you know, a whole cabin full of hillbilly giants to burn down. Hell yeah, let's go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one looks good. So what, what were the other DCC things do you guys remember? Uh the Black Mantle which is out now, the Chain Coffin and uh then the uh, making of the Ghost Ring, which I think I'm saying the title right. The one where the players end up with a magic item that they help create. Yes. I really like that because that's like uh, we play tested that. Have you guys played it yet? I have not. 
it's a series of adventures as the characters are assigned, as Michael shared uh, in the uh, – which, by the way, there's an audio recording and a video recording of this entire Goodman Games What's New seminar online, and we'll put links on our website if you haven't heard or seen it. But uh, Michael was talking about, you know, it's a sort of adventure module that demonstrates the DCC RPG way of magic item creation. And it's just – it's awesome because you're set on – several quests as player characters to go get this piece or that item or that part of what's needed to create this ring. It was a lot of fun when we played it. Nice. I, I like that kind of uh, you know. Well, it's role playing instead of, you know, I spend 10,000 experience points and 50,000 gold and I get the ring. Right, exactly. Oh yeah, the questing vibe for magic stuff in DCC is great. I mean, you feel guilty if you try to hand out a sword plus one, which is the way it should be, and I think it's cool that way. And it's having a module that sort of helps reinforce that and, I don't know, maybe open the eyes to some to, here's how you can get your characters to, you know, get some magic items with quests and things like that. I think it'll be pretty cool. And uh, Harley Stroh's Peril of the Purple Planet, which I know you've already run your players through a playtest of, it will be coming out, but we got to see the Doug Kovacs double wraparound cover art for that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, the, I guess they're going to do Hello? a kick. I, I guess they're going to do a Kickstarter to uh, to try to fund Hello? that kind of extra features. So you were saying that Peril of the Purple Planet could have just a standard cover, but they're going to do a Kickstarter for it to see if they can do the complete wraparound art, so that it sort of turns into an impromptu uh, judges screen, but it has extra maps and stuff. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I, I, this isn't actually, my other thing isn't really DCC, it's their like generic uh, RPG tools type of thing, that's the monster alphabet, and I think they're going to do something similar with that, with, like special covers and stuff. It sounded like a sort of a cool way to go uh, with, you know, hey, we're going to get this product out, but we can make it cooler if you get, you know, if you it pitch in in this way or something like that, so it, it'd be interesting to see how it works out for them. Right, the... Uh... The Chain Coffin has a play aid that's a little triple twist dial that you could just print and tell people to Xerox and cut out themselves. But with the Kickstarter, it could actually come with a module. Yeah, that's not a really cool. I mean, just to see how that looks. But yeah, the, for that that's like the new stuff for DCC, but it's very DCC related. The Monster Alphabet. Have we talked about that on the air yet? I think a little bit, yeah. Um, no. I can't keep track because we, we, we've known about it for a long time because we're your friends, but couldn't talk about it. Yeah, no, no, um, they, they, Judge Job has got a book coming out, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so I was just saying, yeah, uh, we've talked about it. They announced it at Gen Con, actually, so it hasn't been a secret since then. Gen Con 2013. Okay, okay, yeah, forgive me, but we got to see the cover art, the handsome Jim Holloway cover art. Oh yeah, that that Minotaur is is pretty brutal looking. That was that was that was your little nervous moment in the sun, and I'll. I'll if I ever get my shot, I'll be just as bad as you. But, I mean, you know, there was a lot of praise heaped on you by Joseph for uh, the writing and the the monster alphabet. Well, I, yeah, I hope everyone likes it. I, it about killed me to write it. Um, I never realized before that writing random tables takes, a, takes a, you know, 20,000 plus words of random tables takes way more time than just writing 20,000 plus words. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Yeah, tables are weird like that. They suck you in with, oh, this will be easy. It's like, you know, X number of random items. And then you get like halfway through and it's like, wow, this is sort of tough. I can't imagine doing it on the scale of <laughs> like something like Monster Alphabet. There's a level of creative mojo you have to have to knock those tables out. And I mean, you can only do so many pots of coffee in one sitting. 
Yeah, I like the first draft when it when I was doing. I turned it in. Um, There's a few. Some of the descriptions weren't fully fleshed out, and I just I had zero creativity left. Like it was just all gone. There was nothing left in the inkwell. Anything. I just could not think of another cool thing to put in there. So sweet. So a lot of DCC modules. Uh, the Monster Alphabet, which is obviously DCC related. And then there was the big announcement. Well, well one other thing, though, is uh, Michael Curtis has another uh, uh, generic uh, fantasy RPG item, too. It's the Adventurer's Almanac. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. That looks really cool. It's kind of, I, I, My understanding, I mean, I haven't seen it or anything, but my understanding is kind of like, you know, maybe like the Dungeon Alphabet, but for campaign ideas and stuff, adventure ideas. I think that could work out to be really cool. I know for me these days, it's less about this big, huge, sprawling module and just, you know, a little, just enough to go off of a couple things, put a couple bullet points down on an index card. And, you know, so it sounds like the Adventures Almanac will be really cool and really be good for folks that, you know, just give me a couple ideas and I'll take it from there. What do you say? 366 days of adventure hooks? Yeah, I think that's what he said. Yeah, I guess it's kind of formatted like you know, like a farmer's almanac or something, and there's stuff under every day. So it sounds cool. I, you know, I'm friends with Michael Curtis, and I got to tell you, as far as like you know, Goodman Games security protocols, I didn't know a damn thing about that until the uh, seminar. He never said a word to me about that. I mean, I, I kind of wormed some stuff out of you about the Monster Alphabet at Gen Con. Just you know, like five minutes before it was announced. But Mike, man, he's tight-lipped. Good to know. He takes those NDAs seriously. So okay, so the uh, Adventures Almanac. Oh, well, I I don't know what else to say about it other than it looks really cool, and I'm going to buy it as soon as it comes out. Yeah, me too. Now, are we ready for the the what I think is the big announcement? Plus, there's a live Kickstarter going on right now from Goodman Games concerning it. I think we are. I think so. Because this involves you too, right? Maybe a little bit. Well, go for it. You lead the charge. Tell us, uh, Job. So Goodman Games is going to be re-releasing Metamorphosis Alpha First Edition. By, uh, you know, the first science fiction RPG released in 1976, I believe. So it's almost yep. 40 years old. Yep. And in hardcover. And... Uh, supreme stitching. I mean, it's made. To, it looks like it's designed to last for a long time. So, yeah, that's that stuff I was talking about that Joseph thinks all the way through. He's like, he wants it archival quality, so you can pass it. You can play with it and still pass it down to your grandkids. Yeah, that's some of the stuff I thought was really cool about it. Is like you know a re-release, but it's like being done. Like I said, archival quality. Lots of thought and time being put into it, uh, and then. Uh, yeah, it, it, that sounds like it's gonna be pretty cool. And then there's the bit about the the special the notes that uh, Jim Moore did with them that's gonna be included in it as well, right? Yeah, like over a hundred pages of content in the oversized uh, deluxe hardback, but the rules are only thirty five pages of that because that's as big as the original rule book was. Yeah, so but that's it, a lot of extra stuff. I, I've actually seen those those notes, and they are so cool. They are really cool. The Jim Ward's original notes for uh, his first, suppo- uh, I think it's his first playtest of the game with Gary Gygax and, oh, I forgot the other guy's name. Arneson? No, I don't think so. Tim Cask, Rob Koontz, they were all playing great. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't remember. But it, anyway, it, it was really cool to see, see it. Like I was, that was probably the most interesting thing that I, that I read when I was going through some of this material. 
I love historical stuff like that, you know, being a big fan of John Peterson's playing at the world. And I obviously haven't seen any of that stuff, but Tim Cask still tells me stories about, you know, when uh, Gary was running a, a Metamorphosis Alpha play test and they spent an entire session trying to understand that a stack of square wooden logs was the stairs they needed to get to the next level. <laughs> yeah, that stuff is that stuff is cool, and I don't know if you you caught this at the seminar, but uh, John Peterson is actually doing the introduction. Right, yeah, the, I did hear him say that. That'll be neat too. Forward from Tim Cask, uh, an introduction by John Peterson, uh, new uh, monsters and stats, and articles from Jim Ward and Michael Curtis. Yep, and then some new adventure modules the first one of which which is just crazy idea to me i mean that they're they're in 2014 there are going to be uh, metamorphosis alpha adventure modules when there weren't any in 1976 right i know that's a, it's a, just a, such a cool idea so the the one that was released is it on sale now the one that was released or can you only get it through the kickstarter um i'm not I think sure it's on sale right yeah i think i think it is on sale so the the android underlords by michael curtis is out one way or the other, and then you're writing one, right? You pl- I saw you playtested it. Yeah, yeah, I playtested a little Gary Khan. That was like the last playtest, but um, yeah, it, it's been handed over. It's called, uh, what is it called? Uh, Death Ziggurat in Zero G. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit different, so we'll see uh, what Joseph thinks of it. I didn't really tell him too much about it, other than what I said at the seminar. I think he gave me a little funny look, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, as, as much as you're allowed to share, I'd be interested in hearing how the process works because Michael was talking at the seminar about, you know, he wrote uh, the Android Underlords and thought it was pretty, pretty meaty, pretty tough. And the feedback from Jim Ward was, uh, no, it needs to be tougher. <laughs> you got to kill those guys. Yeah, well, I, 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 hopefully it's it's tough enough. I don't know. We'll see. I, you know, I've got giant Amazonian um desert nomads so we'll see we'll see if they're uh you know kick people's butt enough for for jim <laughs> so if 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 uh you're listening to this and you somehow haven't found the video recording go check that out if only or the pictures that are all over facebook and google plus to look at all the uh doug kovacs art that was presented at the seminar because there's art for almost everything we're talking about that they showed and a mock-up of this book which is huge there are people uh over on dragon's foot that are like they haven't responded well to the Kickstarter. For some reason, they're like, hey, $80, $40, that's too much. And I'm like, that's a week of Taco Bell drive through you know? I appreciate that everybody doesn't have $80 to sling around. It's not chump change to me. But for what you're going to get, it is completely and totally worth it. And uh, my understanding is, Job, correct me if I'm wrong, that the Kickstarter is for a single print run. So some will trickle down the retail chain into stores, but when they're gone, they're gone. After that, it'll be like the OD&D box set. You're going to be on eBay trying to get one. And I, I, I think they announced, I'm not sure, I'm pretty sure that Michael's working on another uh, another Metamorphosis Alpha adventure too. I don't know if it's a stretch goal or it's, or it, I think it might already be part of the deal. Uh, if I if I read the Kickstarter correctly, there's four total adventures, including the one that's already out in the chain, and then there are stretch goals that include additional adventures. Oh, okay, and, okay, yeah. So Michael's written another one. I'm not sure what that one's called, but I'm sure it'll be good. And one by Jim Ward, I know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. So sweet. Anything else about the Goodman Games seminar? I don't think so. We'll get the the audio record. The audio recordings available off of Spellburn. We'll get a link to Jim's video record video. 
feed that he did. And uh, like I said, be sure to catch some of the pictures out there. There's a lot of the stuff's floating around the internet, either on Facebook or Google Plus or something like that. So lots of places to see some of the stuff that happened there uh, up close. Yeah, Job, your audio recording was fantastic. My video recording, uh, I left my tripod in the trunk of my car before we piled up in Tim's car. So my video uh, is hampered by the world's loudest tripod that I had to go to Walmart and get (laughs) (laughs) in Lake Geneva. Oh, man. So forgive me for that part. That was awesome that, that you recorded that video, and um, I wish we had seen you around so we could have, uh, you know, helped us record that quick bumper for for um, Spellburn nineteen. Well, that's a great segue to our con experiences because this is the first con the three of us have been to, and I never saw you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. One time outside, three of us got together long enough for somebody to go, "Hey, quick, take a picture." Yeah, because so, we just happened to be walking by. Hey, there's Jim. <laughs> yeah, our thirty seconds together there. So maybe we have to plan better for the next con we're all going to be at. Because I, between uh, running my own games and helping Dale and Luke with emergency stuff, I was just running around like a lunatic. Yeah, you're a busy guy. <laughs> yeah, you were. Anytime I saw you, you, were moving quickly or you know outside smoking one or the other. But it was uh, you were definitely hard to track down. Well, that's part of the answer. If you if you take up smoking tobacco products, you'll be I'll be easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> so this this was my first Gary Con, and uh, both of your first Gary Cons, right? Yeah, it was my first one too. Let me assume the role of interviewer. So, Job, what'd you think compared to say the Gen Con and the uh, West Coast Cons? Oh, it, well, it was amazing. I mean, I really like uh, the smaller kind of con. Um, it was cool being able to game with with all those people that that wrote some of the material, and um, it was yeah definitely the best con I'm I'm sure that I'll go to this year. Highly recommend to anybody out there. There were parts of it because this is my third one that I've already started taking for granted that I forget about. It's the warmest, friendliest gaming convention you'll ever want to go to. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I made a lot of new friends there, and people I'm talking to in email and and on Google Plus and Facebook now, so. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. The small size of it was because all the cons I've done have always been, you know, Origins or Gen Con, so big giant cons. And this one, the the small factor was sort of cool. And what was cool is you, it was small enough you could always run into someone you knew, uh, but big enough that you could meet new people uh, as you went through. Uh, it was a great time, and just the the mindset of the folks there was great. Uh, I, it, really good con. I'll definitely be trying to make it back again. Yeah, I just wanted to give a huge shout out to Luke Gygax and Dale Leonard and everybody else that worked behind the scenes on that con because they worked like dogs and you could tell when you walked in there how well run everything was. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, everything's really smooth for my part from everything I did. I mean, everything took off on time and I found my stuff easily and uh, yeah, definitely a well-run con. My victory for this Gary con was I weaseled my way onto the virtual porch for the first time. One of my games, not both of them. That was pretty cool. Like you know, I'm 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 at this table, and the table next to me is Ernie Gygax running his game. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty cool area. I mean, you told me like ten years ago that would happen. I'm like, no, that can't happen. <laughs> and playing chainmail in Gary Gygax's basement in the old house on Center Street. Yeah, there you go. How was that? I heard new, you told me you were playing that when I first got there, but how'd that go? Go cool, dude. I owe Michael Curtis big time because he kind of talked me into the whole thing to start with, and. 
the way it fell out in our schedules, I was exhausted that day. And I'm like, dude, I think maybe I'm just going to go to the room and catch some rack time. And he's like, no, don't do that to me. Don't stick me there with a bunch of grognards that bleed hex chicks and airfix Robin Hood figures. And I'm like, okay. So I manned up and went with him. And then we had a freaking blast. Uh, it was all uh, people who were either new or relatively new to Chainmail. I'd never played before, except for Mike Carr, who was on the other side from us. We played Teutonic German Knights and against the Russians and they're they're across the table with Mike is uh Mike Carr, so no pressure there. But uh we we had a blast. It's the first mass combat sand table game I've ever played in my life. And with, you know, Mike Monard there telling us, you know, what you have to roll and how far your guys can move, uh I picked it up pretty quick. Yeah, it sounds sh- like that would have been a good time. A guy on my side shattered a D six, which is a little spooky. Yeah, I Whoa. saw a picture of that pop up somewhere on Facebook or something like that. I saw a picture pop up with that D6 shattered. But uh, the lady who owns the home now uh, just must be some angel from heaven or something because she opened up. It wasn't just the basement. The dining room had uh, AD&D and D&D going all weekend long. So she basically opened her house up to a bunch of gamers stomping through. And, I mean, obviously everybody behaved themselves, but that's still no small thing. I wouldn't do it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't open my house to a convention. Yeah, I mean, that's just a lot of it, it, gamers or not. That's just a lot of strangers in your house, you know? So what was your favorite thing you played, Jeffrey? Well, I got to play several things. I played a couple of Michael Curtis games and played a couple of uh, Doug Kovacs' uh, pickup games. And I think probably my favorite one was probably my, my first night there. Uh, Doug ran a Stoutfellas game. Uh, we were a bunch of mobster dwarfs, pretty much. And we had to sneak into the city to... Uh, uh, do some collections per se. Uh, Doug's voices and stuff were just hilarious for the the mob boss guy. It worked out pretty well. And then the what became a running theme for the rest of the convention was um, Adam and Adam. I no way I can can I pronounce your name, so I'm going to call you Adam M. I think it's <laughs> I think it's Mouskowitz. Mouskowitz. Uh, he was in the game and he had a Russian themed dwarf with a poodle. Doug carries around these random stuff tables so when you generate a character one of his games he has this table of 200 items on it and you roll on it oh they were talking about this outside smoking oh yeah i want to hear about this so he adam's character yuri yuri the dwarf had a poodle so the poodle of course soon became central to the game (laughs) uh you know obviously it would um and it was and my character was a we were all supposed to be dwarves but i was actually like a, a dwarven halfling i was a dwarf with all halfling traits um so i had trained that poodle because this these halflings i hung out with used poodles as riding dogs <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so that's how my character started the new new yuri the dwarf and at one point in the game uh i ended up playing the poodle i was actually the poodle as a character for a little bit and then shortly when i needed to shift out of that we came up with poodle checks so, like, if something would happen <laughs> that would, you know, well, like, what would the poodle do? You would make a poodle check, and you would try to roll under a certain value. Uh, I think we started at a 20, but then every time you made a poodle check, that number decreased. So, as the course went on, you had to roll under <laughs> more and more. Now, of course, you were accruing poodle disapproval. Yes. Every time we made a poodle check, we accrued one poodle disapproval. And then, of course, Doug wanted to encourage that. So anytime someone would 
have a good idea for when to make a poodle check at the table, he would give out a point of luck or some other little bonus. <laughs> so the whole table's there trying to get the poodle to make poodle checks, uh, you know, until the very end. But it was just a, it was a really fun game. Uh, good group of people uh, that played there. Uh, and it was it was just a really good time. And of course, poodle checks came from that, which was a recurring theme. Anytime we sat down at a table with anyone else that had been in that game on that Thursday night, uh, would be a call for a poodle check or is there a poodle involved or something like that. So that was probably my my favorite part. But all the gaming was great. Uh, Michael Curtis ran awesome games. Uh, he did two play tests. Of what he's got coming along, they're going to be awesome, super fun. He's a great judge. He gets. Uh, I wanted animated. to play in those so bad, but they conflicted with my games, and I couldn't. Yeah, they were well worth playing. It was a good time. And we got to with those we got to carry a couple of the same players over from one game to the next. So uh that was pretty cool because the first night we played the first part of the adventure, uh, and the next part was a second part of sort of a continuing thing. We're surely I, allowed to say at least the names of the adventures, even though they're just being play tested, right? They, I mean the names were in the con schedule. Yeah, they were in the, the con schedule. So you played uh, the first Phantasmagoria and the second Phantasmagoria. Correct. Yep. Played the first and second. They're they're gonna be cool. Uh, but yeah, a, a lot of good times, a lot of good gaming. Uh, it's definitely stayed up way too late. Uh, I think the, Job and I, I think, actually closed out the little bar thing the first night there. I haven't been in a bar the time they turned the lights on for years. <laughs> See, that's when I miss my chance to hang with you guys, because by like 10 or 11, I'm done. Yeah, yeah no, that, was, I, that was a good time. Yeah, so yeah, it was a good time, but uh, those were probably some of the gaming highlights of the con for me. I, 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 I love playing when Doug is running because it's like being judged by uh, Martin Scorsese and David Lynch at the same time. <laughs> That's a pretty good uh, description of it. So, uh, Job, were you just running? Did you get to play too? Oh, wow. Well, I definitely am not going to be running three games next year because, um, you know, it takes a lot out of you. So you were in bed at 10. I, I stayed up even though I was exhausted and... Um, yeah, I definitely didn't run by the third day. I definitely wasn't running my best game uh, just because I was so tired. Well, I've got a few years on you guys, and there's only so many energy drinks I can pump through my body in 24 hours. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, highlights, uh, probably probably the highlight for me was uh, playing Metamorphosis Alpha um, at Jim Ward's table. And now, now I know all the stuff, you know, when you've talked about, you know, the, the I, I can't even do an impression of him, but the way Jim. Um, How it's like of, being, being TPK'd by your kindly old grandfather. Yeah, he's just like, oh, that would be wonderful. Is that what you'd like to do? Okay. <laughs> let's you can do it. That's great. <laughs> let's see what happens now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then um, so me, I, I like to do stupid stuff. So, I, you know, I kept doing stuff like. Um, you know, there is some kind of death fungus, and um, you know, everyone's too scared. You know, did you say you did you say you like to do stupid stuff? Well, yeah, just because you know, most con games, people, well, not in most con games, but a lot of games, how they just get bogged down with people too scared to do anything because they know yeah. that you know it's a gotcha and they're about to crush you. So, um, you know, so I kept just, I was like, all right, I'll be the first one out there. You know, give me your grab hook, and I want to tie it around my waist, and I'm going to go out with this defoliant chemical defoliant and start spraying it around um so yeah i kept doing that and then finally i was you know then i got so bold i was just walking indoors first without doing any kind of extra stuff and yeah i got sucked up to the ceiling by some kind of green monster and uh chewed up well, one guy actually came in to help me he got chewed up too and everyone's like 
Yep, see you guys. And <laughs> they moved on to the next building without us. Metamorphosis Alpha could be a rough game even when Jim's not uh, running it. I was watching Mike was running one of his uh, MA adventures, and there was this little girl there, and it was just a random shot. Uh, somebody you know, pulled their life leech out in the middle of an elevator and it took her character down and she was about eight or nine. And that little girl got mad and her dad's there trying to console her. I'm like, you know, being a dumbass. here, have a free radioactive dice. And she just put, crossed her arms, stood up, flipped around with her pigtail swinging through the air and stomped off. And we're like, wow, she's mad. Oh my yeah. gosh. I, you know what? I know I was for the first time I was actually going to be at a Michael Curtis game. I was signed up for that, showed up. And that little girl and her father were sitting there, and they wanted to get in on the game. And I was already so tired. I was like, you know what? Um, I'll leave so that you can play in this game with your daughter. <laughs> so I left. And then I heard later, yeah, that she got that she got stomped on and um, upset. Sorry, little girl. <laughs> yeah, I'd heard that. That's funny. I'd heard that story, too, from the guy that did the life leech. It was <laughs> where I'd heard the story from about what had happened. But, yeah, it's sort of funny. <laughs> well, Job, I couldn't agree with you more than 100% on that. You know, don't be too scared. You always, you know, at a con game, you need somebody to get out there and push the buttons that need to be pushed, but that will not fly at Jim Ward's table. You need to be scared of everything all the time. Yeah. So I I, I wanted to be <laughs> I mean, you, you heard later. Michael Curtis with his I've survived three Jim Ward Metamorphosis Alpha games. You know how? One of them, he threw the rest of the party under the bus, let them all get killed. <laughs> so he walked away alive. Yeah, at the end of our game, one guy actually got away. Well, just got totally lucky because he had these like teleporting frisbees and was able to get back to the ship. Um, and uh, yeah, just totally got lucky at the end. But everyone else died, like eight people, or seven people. Well, welcome to the club. If you're here in person, I'd fist bump you. Yeah, I, I also played in a, a Tim Cass game and, and got killed. Uh, Right at the end, and uh, I got this cool little, like, looks like laser engraved uh, piece of wood that says, I got TPK'd by Tim Cask, and he signed the back of it. Yeah, I saw a couple of those posted to the internet. Those look pretty cool. Would have been worth sitting in and getting killed, I think. Yeah, yeah there's, uh, there's a friend Tim and I have in common named uh, Matthew uh, Teets that did those for him. Excuse me, what was his we'll, last name? Um, Teets. Uh, okay. T E A T S. Okay. Unless um, my dyslexia is causing some problem. And, uh, I have to watch my dyslexia because my roommate was Rob Kuntz. And I sometimes <laughs> mis- mis- mispronounce that by accident. So, yeah, I, I, the cast came out. I play, played with uh, one of the organizers from, from Gamehole. I don't know if you've heard of this, uh, this con. I've I, heard. I heard of their presence there, but I didn't really, wasn't familiar with them. They, they did like an interview show on RFI a while back, and it sounded pretty interesting. I, I would definitely check that out, but, um, you know, uh, Conburn and, and uh, you know, marriage. Uh. Well, this is what I love about the size of Gary Con, where it's six or 700 people, and every fifth guy used to work at TSR because of the things that can happen outside these games. The games are all great, but, uh, I mean, some uh, kid, I don't. I've no, I don't know. We're not friends on Facebook or anything. Just walked up to me blind and said, I listened to your podcast and I heard you talk about Jack Vance. I work at a half price bookstore and I brought these for you and handed me two 1960s Jack Vance paperbacks. What? And, yeah. And I'm just like, I don't know what to say except thank you very much. Man, that's pretty cool. What, what was his name? 
I don't know. I mean, we should. I, I don't have a head that will keep that kind of stuff. I told I told him to friend me on Facebook so we could start to correspond. But I have no idea who he was. Just you know, complete stranger to me. And uh, the speaking of the Wild Games Productions podcast, uh, the Dead uh, Game Society guys were there. We get to meet them in person. Oh yeah, yeah. I met Chad, and uh, he gave me a T-shirt. I think lucked out, and it, it actually fits me. <laughs> <laughs> I forget how tall you are in person. I mean, I'll grant you I'm very short, but I see you in person. I'm like, oh. And DM Kojo. Holy crap. Oh, my God. There's a picture somebody took that I have that I love of me and DM Kojo. And if you took everything out of the background so you didn't have a size scale reference, it looks like I'm a dwarf and he's a giant. Yeah, he was tall. I got a picture with him. He, him and his friend Chris, and both of them, I'm like, you guys are both like a foot taller than me. I mean, I'm 5'8", and my top of my head didn't even get to his shoulders. Yeah, I, I'm definitely not going to be making any more DM Kojo jokes. <laughs> oh, he's the greatest guy ever. I'm, I'm glad we got to meet in person. He, he gamed at one of my uh, Mutant Crawl Classic games. Nice. Hi, Corey. Hey, Corey. It was good meeting you out there. Yeah, we're going to do another Dungeon Denizens, and uh, we can't say in advance who the winner is, but you should listen to the episode. How about your uh, g- gaming highlights, Jim? Oh, uh, the two playtests I ran of Mutant Crawl Classics went exceedingly well. It seemed to be uh, really well-received and uh, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, job one that it achieved is it sent players into the dealer room to pick up DCC RPG rulebooks. So, yeah. Nice. But uh, it all went it all went really smooth, and the response online has uh, since then has been good. I'm I'm in a funny position because you know, I mean I'm forty thousand words into that rule set. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I don't want to promote it too much because I personally hate it when I know there's something out there that's coming and I find out about it a year before it comes out. You know, it's like you know having to wait till Christmas to get your present. So I'm trying not to talk too much about the whole thing but i mean it went great i i the 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 highlight talk about con highlights was i had uh for like six months been making payments on this doug kovacs painting i commissioned and doug brought it to the i'd made the last payment the week before and doug brought it to the con and now it's up on my wall in my office at work and i own a doug kovac and i know you've got like a whole art gallery at your house joe but this <laughs> is <laughs> i'm not in your income bracket this was a big deal to me i was very very happy to get that painting Doug knocked it out of the ballpark. It looked pretty awesome. It definitely looked cool. We were t- we were teasing some guy that like I don't see. Doesn't he always do that little Doug Kovac sigil? I don't see it, and I'm like, are you blind? It, uh, I can count four places he put it in this painting at a glance. Go find it. <laughs> yeah, I really like the colors on that on that uh, cover. It look, they, those are really cool. It's like kind of hot pinkish and green. His whole color sense and palette he uses is is. Uh, very idiosyncratic because we talked about it in that painting. There's a lot of violets and purples in that painting. And because I'm a painter too, that's a tough palette to work with. I mean, it's one of those, I don't know if it makes any sense to you guys. It's a color palette choice that there's like 50 ways you can do it wrong. And only a couple, you can pull it off and have it look great. And of course that's what Doug did. Art talk. Sorry. But uh, I don't know, man. You'd be surprised if you track down the emails of some of the artists that that put originals, uh, you know, uh, with art in the core rulebook. Um, it's not as expensive as you might think. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I commissioned my fair share of art uh, working for Gygax magazine. Um, but I mean, you're the collector. 
I, I, I don't collect the art. I just wanted my own Doug Kovacs. It's like the autograph thing. Some people are insane about getting all their books signed by the authors and artists, and I just could not give a rat's ass less. I'm just happy to meet them and get to talk to them. The, those were some of my highlights. Yeah, it was a, it was a, like I said, it was a great con, very great experience, lots of great gaming. Got to make. I think one of the cool things was I got to meet a lot of the folks from the the Facebook groups and the Google Plus groups. So that was really cool, putting some uh, faces to virtual names and things like that. So I, I can't say enough about uh, how positive experience it was. I would bring up some of the awesome swag they had, but that would be disingenuous since I helped create about half of it. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot my cup when I when I packed up and left. I totally wanted to to bring that cup with me. That awesome uh, Trampier uh, tribute that you did on there, Jim. Yeah, that was kind of spooky because that was just a decision we made early on to do the Tramp tribute, and then uh, of course he passed away the Monday before the con started. Yeah, I heard about that. Sad. Well, I mean, it is sad, but I'm I'm pleased that we're able to honor him at a time like this and that it uh, increases the awareness of some of the newer generations of players of how fundamentally he contributed to the beginnings of this thing we still enjoy today. I mean, uh, I, I came back from Gary Khan going, Whew, finally, I've got a little bit of a work break in my second job. I can get a breather. And Jolly wanted a Tramp uh, tribute cover for the next issue of Knights at the Dinner Table. And it goes to press in seven days. Can Can you help me out? So, Oh, man. I was uh, I was very happy to do that because uh, I grew up on that guy's art. He was he was my first favorite old school artist. A copy of that made it to Facebook today, I think, or last night or today, I think, and, and black and white looked Should, awesome. Yeah, Jolly shared the black and white version online. Yeah, it looked awesome. It looked great. I have to which, check that. I haven't seen it yet. Which, given my color sense, you may enjoy more than the color version that eventually gets published. But we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's move it over to Patron Bond, where we'll uh, evaluate and award a rating to Gary Khan 6. Who are you? Your new lord and master. What orders from mortal, my lord? Oh, don't trouble. One thing I can't stand, it's people groveling. Patron Bond. Okay, sort of being part of the Gary Khan team, I'll recuse myself from this and uh, let you guys vote. All right, so well, we're on, on the scale of critical hit, hit, miss, or fumble, and especially as first-time attendees, how do you guys rate it? For for me, it was a it was a, t- a complete critical hit. Um, you know, I had a great time. Uh, probably the only problem that I had with it is that. Um, I was just too tired to play more games, <laughs> so that's a good problem to have. I wish I could have pl- played in more games. Um, I found, uh, I mean, where else can this happen to you? I went into the dealer room. I found a uh, first edition deities and demigods with you know all the the Cthulhu and and Lankmar cutout stuff, um, which I've been looking for forever, and. Um, it was less than what I could have paid for it on eBay, and uh, I just bought it because I was able to walk over to a table and get Jim Ward to sign it and Rob Koontz to sign it. Like, where else can that happen? Nowhere. That's an excellent, excellent. Yeah, that is awesome. So how about you, Jeffrey? A critical hit all the way. Uh, it was a great con. Uh, I've gone through several cons, but the size of it was great. Uh, just the right size. Met lots of great people, lots of great gaming. 
the con was run very smoothly. I didn't have any issues with with anything while I was there, or, you know, anything like that. So uh, definitely a critical hit for me. Uh, great con. Uh, definitely look forward to trying to attend again. Right on. And if you ever find yourselves interested, North Texas RPG Con in uh, in, a, in June is very similar to Gary Con, except it's even smaller. It's more like three hundred people. Yeah, that'd probably be fun. It just bumps up so close to Origins, which is my local con. So, yeah, that's the choice I, ma- I make every year. Last year, I, I decided to go to Texas. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode. It feels good to be back in the saddle. Definitely, it's good to be back. And uh, more to come. We're off hiatus now. We promise. Yep, L- looking looking forward to talking to you guys more regularly. It's been a while. <laughs> it's it's great. We have to. We have to do more episodes of the podcast because even attending the same game convention, we didn't talk that much. This is the only way we can do it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. All right. Well, everybody have a good night. Yep. Good night, everyone. Nighty night. The Spellburn Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Spellburn theme music is provided by the band Glitter Wizard. You can find them at glitterwizard.bandcamp.com. And next, Gary Conn, be sure and play at our new adventure module, The Steading of the Ill Giant Kojo. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Spellburn. Spellburn.